0: Good morning, Living Hope. Great to be here. Um, just want to thank Pastor Steve and the leadership, pastoral staff and leaders just for blessing me and allowing me to worship with you all here today and also to Pastor Steve. Um, a couple of things before we get into uh, the message is that a- automatically for the first time guest speaking at Living Hope, you get a sense of the culture and um, the gospel food in this church. You know, people are warm. Uh, they are friendly. They are intentional and they're hospitable, and this morning when I spoke at the morning service, they gave me, Pastor Steve gave me a wonderful uh, gift bag just to show their hospitality, and had all this like food and snacks. It almost felt like I went grocery shopping for the week, so I, t- t- I took a picture and I texted it to my wife. I was like, look at all this food and all that they've gave, given here just for a guest speaking engagement, but that must be literally the culture of this church, and I'm so thankful and appreciative of all that you've done. Pastor Steve is... Uh, You guys know he's just a well-known, gifted uh, leader and and pastor. I've gotten the chance to know him a bit more during this past 12 to 18 months through Zoom pastor meetings, and somebody once asked me, what do you do in those meetings? And I I told him, it's a Pastor C. Chang meeting. And they're like, what do you do there? We listen to what he says and just follow what he tells (laughs) us to do. But I say that jokingly not because because, um, he has any sense of like... uh, uh, an unhealthy dict, dictator, authoritative posture, but I think we, we feel that because of his, um, the amount of respect and the amount of gravitas that he carries, but that's your pastor, and I feel that trickling down to the other leaders here, and so I'm thankful to be here. Uh, let's get into the message, and I pray that you may be blessed by uh, the power of his Holy Spirit today, um, both everyone watch, worshiping from home and also in the patio. I'm going to be preaching from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Um, I'm going to get right into it, but the central theme of today's message, if you haven't noticed on the title of the sermon, is going to be about gospel freedom, gospel freedom. And surprisingly, what we're trying to do here is not just to show you a way in which you could just do whatever you want as a self-centric, autonomous man. But gospel freedom is really how you, no matter what age you are, can have a life of coherence, harmony, a place where you feel like you're thriving in life. And the gospel is the only reality and truth that could give that to you. Whether you're in youth group, college, and verging on empty nesters, the gospel will free you in this way. And so I want to be able to share this with you from Galatians chapter 5, because I believe freedom is not just something our culture resonates with but it's what you and I desperately want. I read, I'm reading a book right now that's talking about how um, the way that you can move a society's thinking is going to be uh, through its media, particularly poetry, but in our day and age, maybe it's entertainment and social media. And I want to share that because freedom is something that is always touched upon in movies and in shows. So I have a couple of quotes just to kind of make my case here. And the first one goes like this, freedom is, is life's great lie know sort of cynical negative freedom is life's great lie once you accept that then in your heart you'll know peace and that's from loki the avengers (laughs) the second quote is i'm being torn apart you know this sort of like angle i'm being torn apart i want to be free from this pain and i know what i have to do but i don't know if i have the strength to do it free from this pain that's kylo ren from star wars episode seven (laughs) something a little bit closer to home especially in anaheim the classic Disney Aladdin, in which in the crucial conversation between Aladdin and the genie, the Aladdin, Aladdin goes up to the genie and says, what would you wish for? And the genie says, me? No one's ever asked me that before. Well, I guess in my case, ah, forget it. And then Aladdin goes, no, really, tell me, what would it be? Well, you know how the story in the movie goes. What does the genie say? Freedom. And as part of our culture, I'm going to crystallize, hopefully, and clarify what gospel freedom in Jesus looks like and why it's so good for your life. I know that Living Hope is going through a fruitful and wonderful uh, season and teaching on Deuteronomy. And I chose Galatians because it implicitly and explicitly connects and fulfills what Deuteronomy is trying to get at. Deuteronomy, if you didn't know, that word actually comes from Second law, Namas, a second law, where Moses is telling the Israelites the second time all that God has done for the Israelites through the Exodus, but also the Ten Commandments, and how that fleshes itself out in life. It's a second law. And humans like you and me, we tend to be forgetful. We're self-centered, self-absorbed, self-concentrated, and sometimes we learn by repetition. I'm actually in my sabbatical right now. My church graced me with three months of rest and part of that rest is watching the children. My kids, I have two, Riley and Reese, 11, uh, about to turn 11 and eight years old, and when I watch them when my wife is at work, I put together what I call a daddy day schedule, and they absolutely hate this schedule, but I put it down so that we could be intentional and fruitful with our time. One 30-minute section of this schedule is Bible study, And I'm going through the book of Ephesians, and I go through Ephesians 1. Now, verses 3 to 14 is one long, continuous sentence in the Greek, all these spiritual blessings in Christ that you have. Riley reads, don't you want that? Don't you feel that? And then they're like, Dad, can you say that again, please? I was like, all these spiritual blessings (laughs) is one long, continuous sentence. Dad, can you say that one more time? The Israelites, basically, in Deuteronomy, are saying to Moses, Can you tell me that one more time? This second law, the law that reveals the holiness, the righteousness of God, how they're supposed to live as God's community? Deuteronomy is so relevant because it talks about this world in which they lived 3,000 years ago that has political change, military engagement, has all these seismic shifts in their culture, and you have this little group of people wandering the wilderness trying to be a faithful people of God. Does it sound like something familiar? Maybe it's the church in 21st century, political change, military engagement, seismic shifts in culture, and a people that are trying to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus. Galatians takes all of that from Deuteronomy and shows us in the New Testament the fulfillment and the flourishing and the openness of this in the freedom of Jesus Christ. And that's what I hope that you can learn here today. You want a life that's peaceful, coherent, you want to feel relevant, or the buzzword today, authentic, I'm here to tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ can give you that here today. So three questions about this passage. Galatians chapter five, verses one to 12. Three questions about freedom in the gospel. First, I wanna consider with you what is freedom? How do you define it? How do we understand this contra the culture? Secondly, why do you and I need this gospel of freedom? Now, what's so important to our sustaining human society and the fabric of our existence? Why is it important? Why do we need it? And then thirdly, Where do we get it and what does it look like? Sort of connected. So what is gospel freedom? Why do you and I need it as people in a community? And then third, what does it look like to live it out? So let's go, let's look at this point one. What is gospel freedom? I know that this passage is about freedom because in verse one it says for freedom, Christ set us free, stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse one is essentially the theme for you grammarians out there. Verses 1 to 12 is all about Christian living and application. Paul begins emphatically with freedom. Other translations of verse 1 go like this Christ has freed you to be free, so be free. Now it's very repetitive. He's emphasizing freedom. Another translation says, For freedom, Christ freed you, so live as free people. So it's all about freedom, that's why we could talk about what it is. Paul is building up in the book of Galatians up until this point, which is sort of the highlight of Galatians, saying, this is what a life that flourishes and is free looks like. So let's consider what freedom is more deeply, because it's certainly part of our education and our understanding in 21st century America. We understand freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom to vote, freedom from oppression and slavery. And certainly that carries a lot of political baggage and ideology, but there's something more fundamental about freedom that makes not just politics thrive, but actually makes humanity thrive. Because when most people talk about freedom, at the end of the day, they're talking about individual freedom of choice without any restrictions, I want to do whatever I want to do. If you're honest with yourself, you think freedom is I get to do whatever I want to do, to make my choices, my life discoveries, to become who I am without any constraints, without any restrictions, without any limitation. Now, even if you go back to the quotes that I went, gave in the beginning, I would actually argue that when you think about freedom, you're thinking, I don't want anyone to tell me who I am and what I can do. I want to discover who I could be and become the best person that I'm allowed to be. You want to find yourself in this freedom of choice, which, in the more academic perspective, is called expressive individualism, that your sense of identity and worth is to express yourself publicly and be embraced by the public. So you're saying, I don't want anyone tell me what I can do. I don't want anyone to tell me what I have to study and how I have to talk and how to behave. That's one notion of freedom. The other one, which is really for those who are suffering or are broken, is the freedom to say, I want the freedom to not listen to anybody and to go into hiding because you're hurt, you're broken, you feel like a failure, you have a lot of baggage. So in other words, there's a freedom to discover yourself or there's a freedom to numb yourself or to hide yourself. And either way will be detrimental to your life. You can't establish your own identity, not really, and you can't hide from people, you're meant for a community. So how does gospel freedom speak into this? Well, the sociologist Robert Bella has once said this, freedom is perhaps the most resonant Deeply held American value. Yet freedom turns out to mean being left alone by others, not having other people's values, other people's ideas, or styles of life forced upon one. Being free from arbitrary authority in work, family, and political life. And what he's saying there is that people like you and me, we understand freedom to be the absence of restrictions or authority or limitations. Don't tell me what to do. I can figure it out myself. And in fact, that's part of what we see in the quotes that I've given. What did the genie say? I want to be free. Now, what is, what is this one famous poem that has some uh, cultural effect called Invictus in which the author, William Henley, concludes this poem and he says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And it's inspiring, isn't it? Go out there and reach the world. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. But what he's essentially talking about there is going to be human autonomy, Now, for those of you, I don't know, maybe this isn't you, but a frustrated 16-year-old, if you're in high school, I can't wait to go to college, so I don't have to listen to my parents. Or what I read for some singles is, I don't want to get married, and maybe this is just my church. I don't want to get married, so I look at all the marriages at church, and that's that's not a life that I want. You know, it's hard. Marriage is difficult. You lose all your freedom. You're tied down to your spouse, and you have kids, and that's another level of having shackles. I want to live my life the way I want to live. You know, it comes down to the absence of restrictions, the absence of limitations. And if that's your definition of freedom that I want to at least discuss, because I think is understandable, but Paul says, I have a freedom that actually isn't the absence of restrictions. It's the presence of the right and proper restrictions. Because to be free means to be able to live out the way that you and I designed and the way that we were created to be. And created in the image of God, we are created to worship God, to love him, and to love people radically and freely. John Stott, this one one scholar, well-known, respected pastor who passed away, he said about Galatians, freedom is freedom from my silly little self in order to live responsibly in love for God and others. It's not the absence of restrictions, it's the presence of the right one. Gospel freedom is freedom from yourself and autonomy, freedom from sin and death freedom from condemnation, freedom from being enslaved towards immorality and brokenness and hurt and pain. In other words, when we think about true freedom, it's the, not the absence of authority, but the presence of the right authority and restrictions. And some of you may know this artist, Damien Rice. He once said, a kite needs to be tied down in order to fly. I learned how important restrictions can sometimes be in order to experience freedom. How can the kite experience their freedom without the restrictions of being tied down to something? More simply put, you could even look at nature. You could look at birds and fish. A fish can truly be a fish to be its authentic self and swim around in the ocean when the fish is in water. A bird can be truly free when it's put in its proper context with the right restrictions, right limitations of being in the air so that it could fly and truly be what it's created to be. If you put a fish and take it out of water, that's not freedom, that's going to be death. And also, if you take a bird and put it in water, saying, well, the bird should be able to do whatever it wants. That's not freedom that's going to be death. Freedom is to be able to live in the confines, the restrictions, the guidelines, the path, in order to become who you really are and created to be. And for people like you and me, humans, what are the right restrictions? Deuteronomy and the law, the holiness of God. We are created to worship God, and we are created to love Him and love other people. But whenever we get that tweaked and messed up where we love things more than we love God and we've inverted that relationship, then we're no longer living on the path of freedom and the way that God designed us to be. Whenever we live for ourselves, just trying to discover who we are, want to go to college, want to have romantic relationships, just figure out who I am, want to be rich and have a lot of money, which by the way, all are good things in themselves, but when they take a higher place than God... Then that's what the Bible calls idolatry. Whenever you live that sort of life, trying to procure and manifest and garner, manufacture your own sense of worth, discover who I am apart from the guidelines of God, you're surely to crumble. And if you're other way where you're saying, well, you know what, I'm just going to figure out, uh, you know, this world is broken and it's sinful and it's hurtful and I've been hurt too many times, so I'm going to take myself out of society, be a contemporary Buddhist, just kind of isolate from the world which is evil, you're also going to crumble. Either way is actually freedom. Freedom is actually to, in the power of the gospel, free from your sin, from slavery to yourself, and to love God and other people. That's what freedom is. It frees you. For Christ has set you free, so therefore be free. Freedom from the law of the Old Testament is a way of salvation. Freedom from your sin. Freedom from condemnation to hell. Well, I kind of alluded to it, but secondly, let's look at this deeply. Why do you and I need this? I'm going to try to make a case to say it'll make your life resonate and work. Not perfectly, because there is this thing called sin that will always be there, but it could help your relationships, your schoolwork, your work, your vocation. It could help things at church, your understanding of society in this political climate that's so divisive. It's not going to fix everything, because there's still something called sin in this world, but it'll help you navigate with love, grace, truth, and a coherence and purpose in life that you can't find anywhere else in this world. That's why you need it. Let me try to make my case. Paul uses different words here when he says why we need this. He uses words like slavery and a yoke of slavery. And he's basically saying there are two types of lives here. You can have one in which you fly and you resonate with your purpose in life, or you can have one that actually is a counterfeit approach to life in which you'll crumble. He calls the first one freedom in Christ. He calls the second one a yoke of slavery. So why do you need it? Because you want freedom in Christ and you don't want a yoke of slavery. You want to cohere and do well in life. Relationships cohere, but you don't want to be frustrated and anxious and hurting and more sinful, regretful. You don't want that life. That's why you and I need this. Let me show you why the gospel could help you in this way. One of the reasons that Paul gives us that we need Jesus is because we don't want to be a slave, and he knows that the gospel is the most important reality in our life. So he says, if you live life and freedom by your own resources and strength, verse 2 Christ will be no value to you. And then verse four, you'll be cut off from Christ and fall away from his grace. So it's it's an either or. You can't have both. Fundamentally, you receive Jesus and live for him or you live without Jesus and try to manufacture your own life. There are basically two options. Live on your own performance, your own morality, your own efforts, live for your own dreams, fulfill your own selfish desires, live in the passions of the flesh and the desires of the now or... Receive Jesus, have the right restrictions in place, and then life will begin to cohere. Things will begin to make sense. Paul says it explicitly in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Now you're thinking, well, what does that mean, circumcision, uncircumcision? What does that mean? It's just religious terms, but you and I do this all the time. This is where I'm going to try to make my case. You and I, in our sin and brokenness, we live either a circumcised life or an uncircumcised life. The other ways we could understand this is other kind of synonyms. Circumcised means you're a very religious, pharisaical, pious, theologically inclined life, you know, you're sort of self-righteous and you dot your, dot your I's, cross your T's, and you're always looking down on people. You know, you feel good about yourself as you read your Bible, you know your theology, you pray every morning, you tithe, you serve on five committees, all good things, but you think doing all that makes you a better person and that God loves you more. Uncircumcision is the irreligious life, the skeptic's life, the licentious. Licentious means you just want to experience all that life has to have now. So you don't want people telling you what to do. You want to go out there and indulge in the passions of the now and the desires of your heart, whether it comes relationally and vacation and money, whatever it may be. And Paul is saying, whether you're irreligious or you're religious, whether you're circumcised or you're uncircumcised, both approaches are essentially the same because they're self-concentrated, they're selfish, and they try to achieve a happiness and joy and freedom in life apart from Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying there in verse 6, it has no value. It's not going to work. It's worthless. That that word there in the Greek also means no ability. It's not strong enough. You can't perform and you can't live out in such a way that you could justify it for yourself. Now, let's try to dig into this a little bit deeper. Circumcision, uncircumcision, there's a way to understand this. Religion, irreligion. Um, there's like pharisaical, licentious, but in Galatians chapter three, verse 28, Paul also says there's a parallel phrase of circumcision, uncircumcision, and he says there's Jew and then there's Greek. And that basically summarizes what he says. Jewish people are the circumcised, they're the religious, and the Greek people are the uncircumcised and then the irreligious. Now let me try to get a little bit into your hearts here. When you think about following Jesus in the Christian life, many of us tend to think like this there's a spectrum of Christian maturity. There's a spectrum of Christian um, development. So on this side of the spectrum is mature people, but that could be the religious people. No, you know your doctrine, as I said, you, you pray a lot, you read your Bible a lot, you try to show mercy, and you wanna be a good Christian, try to be an officer in the church, and so you know everything, you're very religious here. You're good. And on this side of the spectrum are those we consider less mature. Because they're licentious, they're selfish, they're self-indulgent. You know, they do what they want in their heart's desires. And you're thinking, well, you got to follow and mature along this kind of ideological spectrum. And you're saying, well, where do I fall? Some of us want to be balanced, so I, kind of, I fall right in the little middle. You know, I like to have fun, but I also you know, want to do what i got to do for God. There's one guy, Brian Chappell, has said, if you think about Christianity on that spectrum, irreligion, religion, licentious to pharisaical, then you don't understand the gospel because Christianity and the gospel doesn't fall on that spectrum at all. It's an entirely different approach because whether you're on this side or this side, both are man-centered. Here, you're self-indulgent. Here, you're self-achievement. In saying to find real life, you and I, the reason why we need the gospel is because our sin tends to make us either be irreligious and be licentious. We indulge in our desires. We tend to be prideful and arrogant and self-righteous thinking all our good deeds and works makes God love us more. And then we think because of our good works, our circumcision, our religious dietary laws, we think we're better than other people when in fact we're all the same because we need the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done for us. That's why you and I need this. And some of us, we always sway back and forth between one or the two. They're both versions of different slavery. Over and over again, Paul is basically saying the reason you're so unhappy, the reason you're so restless and you're anxious and you're angry, the reason is because the most important relationship in your life is utterly broken and it's shattered in your sin. See, friends, if the most important relationship in your life is broken, no matter what you do, you're going to go out into the world in weakness in anxiety frustration. Now, maybe I could illustrate it this way. They say, once you're married, the most important relationship to make your life is gonna be your marriage. Strong marriage, you could go out into the world in strength. Weak marriage, you'll go out into the world in weakness, no matter what it is. And so I remember a couple of years ago, I was, just pre-pandemic, so I was out hanging out with a bunch of friends and my wife was texting me because it was getting late, but I was having so much fun that I didn't realize that she was texting me. And I finally realized, man, it's really late, I didn't respond to any of my wife's texts. So I get back home and I try to sneak in. She's already sleeping down on the bed. And I was like, maybe I can sneak in and she won't even know. So I crawl into bed slowly and as best as I can and I finally laid down and put my head on the pillow. And then my wife, she was awake the whole time and she said, did you have fun? (laughs) And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, it wasn't bad, honey. Let's, let's go sleep. And then she turned her shoulder away from me. And I was only two inches away from her on the bed, but I felt so far and so uncomfortable. And I was like, what am I going to do? Do I buy flowers? But she doesn't, she doesn't like flowers, so I try to make breakfast the next morning, but she doesn't like cereals. I'm like, there's not much that I could do. I'm not, very, I'm not really good in the kitchen. But I feel like it's so strained. And the next morning, you go out into weakness. See, the reason that you don't have freedom in life and you're broken is because the most important relationship in your life is not going to be your spouse or your children, your best friend. It's this vertical relationship with God. There's sin. There's brokenness. We broke his commandments. That's why Deuteronomy, can you tell me that again? The reason we need it is because somebody has to fix it for us. We receive that in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To fix that relationship, Jesus has to do this. That's why circumcision, uncircumcision, it doesn't matter. It can't fix that relationship. You could achieve everything that you want. You could pray the Bible 10 times a day. It's not going to fix this relationship. Only Jesus can. You could live life and have as much fun as you want, indulge in the passions of your flesh. Go ahead, live it out temporary pleasure. It still ain't going to fix this relationship between you and God. At some point, you're always going to go out in weakness. That's why you need the freedom in Jesus Christ to heal, to be strong, to be whole. A wonderful illustration, before we go to the third point, is given by this scholar, Richard Lovelace. And he says, if you take a rod of iron, and that's bent, but you need to make it straight, so you take that rod, and then with your exertion of strength, you make that rod straight again. He's saying, it looks really strong and straight again, doesn't it? But because you bent it back in, you actually made it really weak, and it's only another moment before it could break completely. You have the appearance of being strong, but it's not strong at all. So you and I are like that in Christian life. Sometimes church culture is like that. Wonderful, good-looking, educated people, living hope. Man, you guys look great. There probably no problems or sin in your life when I just kind of stand up here and look. But because of sin, many of us are broken inside. We're bent like that rod. You've been hurt. Maybe you've been victimized. You have mental health issues, spiritual issues, relational issues. Maybe marriages are on the verge of getting divorced. Maybe your children doesn't disobey you. Maybe your parents don't understand you. You have all kinds of hurt and brokenness. I know my church does. One of the beauties about guest speaking, I could let all the skeletons of my church members out publicly, but there's mental health issues, there's there's issues relationally with marriage, there's issues with people having deep anxiety, getting counseling, but when you see them on Sundays, they're like that rod that's been straightened because they still have their Sunday's best, they look good, they're smiling, but behind all that veneer, I know that rod that's broken inside. Well, how do you get strong? Lovelace goes on and says it's not to exert moral effort. That's circumcision, uncircumcision. It's to put that rod into the fire to recreate it, remold it, and fortify it again so that it comes out even stronger. For you and me, that's a circumcised heart. That's what Deuteronomy points towards. That's what Galatians gives us in Jesus. We can't, throw our moral effort straighten our lives out. You know, there's wisdom to change things, but at the end of the day, you, you, you submit your brokenness to Jesus. Receive his grace. God loves you more than you can ever imagine. And receive all that is given you, and it'll change you from the inside out, a circumcised heart. And that leads us to our third point. Where do we get it and how do we live this out? Well, let me try to flesh this out in a way that I didn't in the first service. <clears throat> you know, it says there that in, in verse one, for Christ you've been set free, so stand firm in Christ. So where do you get this life? Well, you receive it by faith, but stand firm in it. No, once you become a Christian, you don't leave the gospel to the side, you have to grow in it and you have to develop it. So Paul says, "For Christ set you free, now stand firm in Jesus." That's a military term. No, you have to be defensive. Maybe some of you did taekwondo? You no, know, not to just assume because we're an Asian primarily Asian church here. Maybe there's probably about 20% of us have a black belt in taekwondo or something. Maybe you do, I don't know, maybe you did wrestling, maybe you do MMA. You know, maybe um, You know, maybe you're in the military. You all know what it means to have a military stance. You know, you got to sit down, you got to settle down, you got to get ready and be defensive. Paul's saying metaphorically whatever life throws at you, take a stance in the gospel. Don't stand firm in your achievements. Don't stand firm in money and power. Don't stand firm in your good looks. There's probably a handful of social media influencers here. Learn about micro-influencers. Maybe you got 20,000 followers. Maybe one day you'll hit 100 and be a true influencer. Don't stand firm in that popularity. All things are sinking sand only on Christ is solid rock. Stand firm in Jesus Christ. That's how you do it. One way to think about this is what Jesus says in John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are in the branches, abide in me. That's how you live it out. What does it mean to abide? It's different from live. You know, in this sabbatical, I've gone to the East Coast, I've gone to Hawaii, I've stayed in hotels, I've stayed at friends' houses, I've stayed at my in-laws and my parents. All very fun, all very gracious. It's great to live in a hotel, it's fun. But when I finally come back home, which, by the way, is only a mile down the street in Brea, when I come home, nothing feels better. You know, why is that? There's no place like home. Because you can live in a hotel, but you can only abide at home. And Jesus says, abide in me. Abide in me, this life in which you can stand firm and you could receive it in Jesus and it's a better, higher quality life. As you're free to set, that you're set free to love God and other people. All right, let me try to say it this way. God on a limb. You know, when the Bible promises, like in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I will give you eternal life. You know, if you're growing up in the church, you want eternal life. Now, if I asked you, can you define eternal life for me? What is eternal life? Almost everyone will say, you know, it's living life in heaven forever and ever, endless of time. And certainly that's true. Eternal life is about duration of time. But did you know that when the Bible talks about eternal life, it's not talking about the quantity of time. It's talking about the quality of life. The quality of it. Not the duration of life in heaven, even though it's true. It's the quality of life that you're with God cohering in love and that you're with your great king. So you See, as Lewis, in mere Christianity, he expounds upon this when he talks about eternal life. He says, you could look at a statue of a man, but it's not alive when you looked at the man that the statue is pointing towards. And he looks at all these different degrees of life and he says, you know what? The Christian life is the highest quality of life. This is why. Well, you can have a, a plant and it's alive. It goes through photosynthesis, puts out oxygen, it's alive, it's a living entity. But wouldn't we say that maybe a dog life is a higher quality of life? Dog can move around, it recognizes its masters. Dogs are colorblind, but still they have more mobility than their plant. So a dog has a higher quality of life than plant. And then move it forward. Lewis goes on and says, well, then isn't it true that humans have a higher quality of life than dogs? Because humans, what well, we see in color. And we also understand the notions of loyalty, self-sacrifice, love. We're higher intellectual be- beings. We can create things in this world. And then he pushes it on. And he says there's still a higher quality of life. And that's eternal life in your union with Jesus. This experience to know that you're adopted by God. And you can live that out into the world. And that's why you could be free. So inasmuch as that animal life is better than botanical life, it is as much as human biological life, just breathing the air, breathing out carbon dioxide. human biological life is better than animal life. Human spiritual Christian life in union with Jesus is the best, a higher quality of life. That's why it can set you free. Many of you are so mechanically attached to the church. You go through the emotion, you go through the motions, you go through the mechanics, but you're never cultivating an eternal life, this relationship with Jesus. You're not abiding in him like a plant in a botanical metaphor. You're mechanically attached, and that's why it's so empty inside. In other words, as one pastor has said, Jim Packer, there's a difference between knowing things about God and knowing God. There's a difference between having informational knowledge and having a relational knowledge. You may know me, Pastor Will. 44 years old, pastor of New Life Presbyterian, but you haven't done life. You don't know what makes me happy, what makes me cry, what makes me anxious. So you may have informational knowledge of me, but not relational knowledge. In order to live this out, to love people and God, let the gospel set you free. That you can have informational knowledge and relational knowledge. That you can know things about God, but also you could know God. Because you don't just have human biological life, friends, and union with Jesus. You have the best life, eternal life, in Jesus Christ. Do everything out of love. That's what it looks like. Out of the full identity of what God has given you in his son Jesus. Charles Spurgeon once told this story to understand what loving God looks like. And he says, once upon a time, there was a king who ruled over the land. And there was a gardener there who grew an enormous carrot. So he went to the king and said, my lord, this is the greatest carrot that I've ever given, that I've ever grown. Please take it as my a token of my love and appreciation for you. The king took this, knew that it was The gardener's intentions were sincere, gave him a piece of land to make him richer. A soldier under the king's army heard about this, said, I want a piece of land, bigger piece of land. So I'm going to groom the biggest horse that I have. I'm going to give it to the king. Goes over and gives it to the king. My lord, this is the strongest, biggest horse that I have. Please have it as a token of my appreciation. The king took it and didn't give the soldier any land. The soldier says, my king, you gave the gardener a piece of land. Why didn't you give me a piece of land? And then the king said this because I can look and discern in their hearts. The gardener gave me the carrot, but you're just giving, me, giving yourself the horse. You're just serving yourself. And if we approach Christian life like this, you only go to church because you pray that God will bless you, get something out of it, this consumer mentality. You pray, you do good deeds, you tithe, but at the end of the day, you expect God to bless you. That's a health and wealth approach. You don't know if that's going to work. You got to give God because you love him, and the gospel frees you out to do this in a way that's radically countercultural, antithetical to the world. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Brothers and sisters, living hope, now go out there and live freely. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the grace that we receive in your son Jesus Christ that frees us from ourselves so that we can be our true, authentic selves created in the image of God, recreated in the gospel of Jesus. Lord, this is a messy world. We have messy hearts. We have messy lives and relationships. But Lord, it's a messiness that Christ has spoken into and came down into this world to take upon himself to help us work it out slowly but surely, that we could grow and be changed from one glory to the next according to Colossians, into the image of Jesus so that we can experience a taste by faith of this eternal life that is so good that we've been adopted into your life, into your family. So Lord, I pray for living hope as we continue to navigate the complexities of this world, to help us to do so, not first and foremost from an identity of politics or identity of ethnicity or identity of accomplishments or socioeconomic background, but first and foremost as adopted and set free, purchased by the blood of Jesus. We thank you so much and pray this in Christ's name, Amen.